in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. <clears throat> Preparing this morning's sermon would likely have been a great deal easier if I decided to take you down the path most often traveled. In the most common reading of our text from Matthew, we are instructed to be ready and to not let our lights go out. We don't know when Christ will come, neither the hour nor the day. So this particular scripture instructs us to have oil in our lamps and to not be caught sleeping. Well, that certainly makes sense, and it's hard to argue with that kind of logic. After all, as Anglicans, along with our Orthodox, Catholic, and Lutheran siblings, we pretty much universally agree on the meaning of this passage. Being prepared for the parousia, or the second coming of Christ, isn't an earth-shaking interpretation of any part of Scripture, and preaching on it and then moving on to the Eucharist isn't going to lapse this parish or the wider church into heresy or schism. I don't think. So why not turn things on their heads a bit? As Diane and my wife will no doubt be willing to testify, I'm not generally someone who is criticized for doing things the easy way. So why start now? With that in mind, I'd like to lift up what can easily become an overlooked portion from this morning's gospel. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no. There will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. If we think of that oil-producing, excuse me, oil-producing light as the gospel, and hence as that which illuminates our way, now what, now what does this Matthean passage tell us? Would we say to someone blinded by the darkness of the ways of the world and desperate for the light of God to go elsewhere and fend for yourself? For most of us, I think, at least I hope, the answer to that question would be no. We wouldn't intentionally turn away someone seeking the comfort and truth of the gospel. Certainly not if it were within our power to offer them the love of Christ. Unfortunately, I think for so many of us, when we think of sharing the gospel of Christ and him crucified, we tend to think of a situation which, in our minds, looks a great deal like our Sunday school sessions upstairs. We sit down, open our Bibles, turn to an appropriate passage, and read. And certainly this is one way to pass along the love of Christ, but if we're being honest, how often does an opportunity like that present itself? How often does someone ask us to read from the Bible with them? Now, of course, there's the 10 a.m. Bible study here on Wednesday mornings, which I certainly commend to your attention and your attendance. There's a quote which is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but which is also cited to others, which goes something like, always teach the gospel. Use words if necessary. Use words if necessary. To me, this seems to indicate that the primary means of spreading the gospel is something other than preaching or speaking or even singing. I'd like to let you in in that regard on a little secret which many of my preacher and theologian friends would rather you did not know. You ready? You don't have to memorize a single letter of scripture to preach the gospel. 
I mentioned a couple weeks ago that we are charged by Jesus to exercise the gospel in myriad ways. Holding the hand of someone who is sick or even dying is teaching the gospel. Jesus says to love each other as God loves us. Taking a meal or many meals to someone who has lost their job is spreading the gospel Jesus tells us to feed the hungry. Not only that, he shows us how, and if he can feed thousands with a few fish and some scraps of bread, what can we accomplish with resources that, to the average follower of Jesus in his own time, must have seemed like the riches of the kingdom entire? Each and every Sunday, Diane concludes Mass with the exhortation to make haste to love and be swift to be kind. As a thought experiment, maybe we should all consider what we could accomplish in the name of Jesus if we understood that message to be the entirety of the gospel. Make haste to love and be swift to be kind. You know, while I was thinking about this morning's sermon, I came across a video recording of an excerpt from a sermon preached by our very own presiding bishop, Michael Curry, just about a year ago. I readily admit that he has a preaching style which not many of us can pull off. He's energetic and he's forceful, he's constantly in motion, he would likely be right at home in a more Pentecostal setting. But his message, the message is one that should be preached as clear as a church bell from the pulpit of every parish in every diocese in every church around the world. He echoes a sentiment shared by our Quaker brothers and sisters in faith when he says, now then, let us try what love can do. I wouldn't be the first to observe that this constant message of love can become a bit saccharine and overbearing. If we don't word it just so, we risk sounding like the clearance rack at a Hallmark shop. But you see, this is a problem of our own making, and it's due to the fact that we misunderstand what love means in the context of Christian community. As Bishop Curry rightly asserts, and here I quote his own sermon, Jesus ain't said you gotta like everybody. You only have to love them. So let me punch up that first part again. Jesus ain't said you gotta like everybody. It's a childish notion that if I don't like what you do, then I can't see your well-being as equaling the importance of my own. I don't have to like or agree with your politics to care that you are fed and warm and healthy and safe. I don't have to like the way you handle and spend your money to watch out for your children just as I would my own nieces and nephews. So with that, let's think back to our message from Matthew this morning. One group of bridesmaids, called virgins in most texts, has enough lamp oil and the other doesn't, simple enough. When those who find themselves lacking for a small portion of oil to keep their lamp, lamps burning ask for more from the haves, they're told no. There may not be enough left for us. Friends, how many times have we heard this from those around us in church? If we give money to this person or that person for this or that project, what will be left for the rest of us? Or perhaps you've heard, well, we want to be welcoming. But if we let this or that person in, what will become of the church? Will it water down the message? Will it make us rethink our theology as a community? 
my brothers and sisters, to that last question, I would say let us hope that new members of our community make us rethink our theology. If theology is the study and expression of how we see ourselves in relationship to a living God, then that study and expression are, or at least should be, constantly changing and more importantly, growing. Growth in a church and change in a church are nothing to be feared. Growth and change represent our living, growing edges as people of God through relationship with the risen and living Christ. And not only is change in a church nothing to be feared, it is something to be pursued, something to be sought after. It is something for which we ought to pray as a people both night and day. If you are troubled, pray for the change of peace. If you are confused, pray for the change of wisdom. If you are angry, pray for the conversion of your heart. Finally, my friends, at the risk of sounding corny, I submit to you that the oil and the light of the gospel only increases in our lives by giving it away to others. To truly love and place the value of others as equal to our own costs, nothing. But whether the need of others in this world takes the form of money or time or energy or compassion, those muscles in our hearts which show love only grow when we use them. So don't look away, don't step aside, don't hold back. It's true that we can run out of money and even run short of time or patience, but when the commodity is the love of Christ in the gospel, the supply is truly never ending. Jesus ain't said you gotta like everybody, but you do have to love them. May God bless you and hold you in the palm of his hand and may we all do the same one for the other In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.